The reading this morning is from 1 Peter, chapter 3, beginning at verse 8, and can be found on page 1219 in the Church Bibles. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not replay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary... Repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered, once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. It's my privilege this morning to share thoughts with you on the theme of suffering, but in particular on this Remembrance Sunday on peace in a suffering world. And set the thing in two contexts. Firstly, and very briefly, the context of 1 Peter, which is the book we're studying this term. And secondly, and more broadly, in the context of Remembrance Sunday, which is what this day is really about. The letters of Peter are some of the last last apostolic words of the New Testament. I found myself asking the question, and I'm of that age where I can do that, what was the most influential decade in the 20th century? Now, most of you of my generation and slightly younger will probably say the 60s. The colour, the music, pop music had tunes. I can see John Woolley nodding approvingly um, over there. Peter, his name means Petros, a rock. He was a king of rock. In the 60s, 
of the first century, because of the 60s of the first century, the world had changed. It had changed after the 50s, obviously, had been a, dec a decade of evangelism when churches had been established around the empire. But actually, what was happening was that the world was changing. It was changing politically because the power of Rome was concentrated and centralized into one man whose crushing ambitions and insecurities would produce the most violent persecution that the Christian church knew at that time. It also changed culturally. The empire was becoming diffuse, more varied in its religious expressions, a world of multi-faith syncretism where anything goes. People could shop around in a supermarket of truth for what, that, what suits them. Morality was relative and not absolute. Everything was a matter of convenience. In fact, rather like the 21st century. It was tough, in fact, to be a Christian. And against that background, Peter has written this letter of encouragement and hope, almost certainly under house arrest in Rome. And he'd been arrested before, of course, and with his colleague Peter, he'd seen death at, at the hands of Stephen, for example, being stoned to death, and his lifelong companion James, killed by Herod's sword. The year, you see, is AD 63. Peter is in Rome. He would die probably a year later. Nero has been on the throne for 10 years. And Peter writes to these Christians in five Roman provinces that we now call Turkey. The letter's got many themes. It's got the theme of salvation. It's got the theme of relationships. It's got the theme of leadership, which is coming up later in the book. And it's got the theme of suffering. There are 16 references to suffering in the letter of 1 Peter. And I want to just take those, pick out those two phrases in that context as we move to Remembrance Sunday itself. Seek peace and pursue it, 1 Peter 3, and live in harmony with one another. And so here it is then, some thoughts for Remembrance Sunday against that background of a suffering church of the first century, our suffering world, peace in our time. Now, I'm a baby boomer, born after World War II in 19, the cold winter of 1947. We are known, those of you of my generation, as super boomers now. That's a good phrase. Nico, you've not yet reached that particular age of maturity, but it will come. I can tell you now it's going to come. It's caught up on me. The future has caught up on me. I am, like many of us, part of generations that have never known war at home or on the scale of the world wars. And yet, for lots of us, and for us, for Margaret and I as a family, it's a very personal day. Within a week of the D-Day landings, a navigator was flying over France, and, he was and the plane was shot down, and he was killed, and there is no grave. His name, unknown to some of you, but some may remember the surname, Arthur Kahn, Douglas Kahn's brother, Margaret's uncle. Come with me for a few moment for a will in your imagination to a windswept cemetery east of Amiens on the Somme. I'm looking for a grave and I walk down that, those avenues of graves. The names faded after a century of wind and rain. I find a grave with a VC on it, a Victoria Cross, very unusual. And two graves away is another grave and it says William Hobbs my actually my uncle will 10 miles north of uh, Harbonnier is the little town of Pozieres on the Somme I'm walking around 
courtyards and memorials maintained by the Commonwealth War Graves Commission. And on the wall, faded in the marble, is another plaque, another name, etched against the wind and rain. Frederick Hobbs, my uncle Fred. My father, much younger than his siblings, grew up in a household shrouded with grief. My grandmother never recovered from the death of her two eldest sons. You see, war casts long shadows over the years. And it's come home to me many times in the stories my family have told me from my older historian cousins, in old photographs, in the faded documents of my father's World War II conscientious objection tribunal, in TV documentaries, in films, in regular school visits to the battlefields of Ypres, in holidays that have taken me to war cemeteries around Europe, the Middle East and Singapore, and visits to many war museums. I was in Alexandria, Egypt, quite a long time ago now, with a party of senior Glynn students on a school cruise. We had a half day free, and with my six formers, Margaret and I took the bus westwards across the desert to a semi-deserted settlement. Its name, El Alamein. On the bus was an elderly man traveling alone. I got into conversation with him. He'd fought in Montgomery's Eighth Army and was making a pilgrimage back to the battlefield for the first time. I'm going to find my friends, he said. An hour or two later, as we wandered among the seemingly endless graves, I found him again with head bowed and tears coursing down his cheeks. He said to me, I've found my friends. And it comes home today, of all days, the 453 British families whose loved ones never returned from Afghanistan. The empty caverns of Camp Bastion, the chaotic retreat from Kabul, the war in Ukraine, and the unconscionable horrors of Gaza ring loud with an adaptation of an age-old question. We may win the war. Can we ever win the peace? The world loves people who make things happen. The pacemakers who trigger a world record in athletics. The games makers who manufacture a welcome at an Olympic Games. But what about the peacemakers? The United Nations building in New York has a glass case containing an almost vaporized Coke can from Hiroshima. And etched outside on the walls are these words from Isaiah. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. The meaning of Remembrance Sunday, of course, means different things to different people. The observation is controversial. Most of us believe it to be an important and essential part uh, each year. It's not pointless, hypocritical, jingoistic, or militaristic, but some take that view. We need to reflect on and find a meaning for this occasion that resonates with all of us, whatever our faith, whatever our feelings. It means different things, of course, as I said, the simple memory of the victims of war, healing from the recollections of suffering and bloodshed. War, as I said, casts a long shadow, and there are those who have been spent a lifetime physically and mentally disabled because of war. For them, my friends, every day is Remembrance Day. It's a time also to thank God for the peace we enjoy 
and a time to pray for peace and those who seek to bring it about. We've already said this morning, remember Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. The Bible has a lot to say about memories and remembrance, songs of remembrance, like the Psalms, festivals of remembrance, like the Passover, book of remembrance in Malachi chapter 3, and in the New Testament, the feast of remembrance. Do this in remembrance of me. For the people of God, there is always a place for remembrance. The people of Israel had their own remembrance days. The past is very important. We need markers, milestones, reminders. When Israel lost touch with its spiritual heritage, when it failed to celebrate the Passover, when its songs were unsung and forgotten, when it, when it abandoned its historic truths, then its spiritual decay became worse. As a nation, it lost its way and became spiritually rootless. And as I wrote in news today, uh, this is a message for our time, for our country, and for our community. Not an annual observance like today, but more to deeper issues in our lives that will not go away. And we need to address them, and to address them now. Although remembrance is an invitation to look back, we are called upon not to live in the past, but with the past. Christian experience is not a time warp set in a former age, but a living reality for today. In the Peace Museum in Caen, in France, uh, there is one of the largest uh, World War II exhibitions. And at one end of the building, there is a huge movie theater showing a continuous film. It's called, in French, Esperance, Hope. It's the story of peacemakers from the conflicts of World War II to our present time. When the Bible talks about peace, it's not referring just to the absence of war, but something deeper, expressed in Hebrew, shalom, and in Arabic, salam. Let me just lighten it a bit. I travel the world quite a lot, and I've collected T-shirts from all over. Excuse me, I'll have a drink. I'm getting carried away. I bought this T-shirt in Jerusalem. Uh, I never wear it. But maybe now, I should be wearing it. I threatened to have it under my clerical shirt and opened it up. <laughs> but, but that was vetoed because uh, I'm in sales, not management. The flags, of course, of Palestine and Israel. And above the Palestinian flag is the Hebrew, Shalom. And over the Israeli flag is the Arabic, Salaam. I hope that's visible on camera for those of people watching at home. Our Christian understanding of peace is that it's three-dimensional. Peace with God. The ultimate message of the gospel is the cross. Being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Back to the city of Caen in France. In 1944, a hospital worker in the, in the city, in the hospital, was notified by the resistance that there would be a saturation bombing raid on Kong. He went to the hospital laundry and collected all the bloodstained sheets and spread them out on the roof of the hospital in the shape of a cross. And the hospital was, was spared. They were literally saved by the cross. Peace with God. 
peace with others. In Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave or free, male or female. The barriers of race, social class are broken down in Christ. One of the great tragedies of history is the tagging of warfare to religion. Across the centuries, war has been waged in the name of the Prince of Peace. Back to a Glynn story again. Uh, on, I mean, five times to Israel and, and twice with boys from Glynn. And one of the things we did there was to float on the Dead Sea. Now, here's, that's not me, by the way, but um, I'm better looking than that. Um, one, of the, one of the things you do is that you float on the Dead Sea. Now, I'm floating on the Dead Sea and my boys are there, loads of other people. A, a well-spoken Arab floats up alongside me and he says to me, the words that no teacher ever wants to hear on a school journey, are you in charge of these children? <laughs> and he said to me, this was the conversation. Did, the, did you go to Yad Vashem? Yad Vashem is the Holocaust Memorial in Jerusalem. A terrible thing to see. I said, no, but I said, we went to the children's memorial. It's equally harrowing. And the conversation continued, and he said, um, with great wistfulness and a smile, he said, I'm a doctor on the West Bank in Nablus. I can't walk a length of a city block in my own town without being challenged by an Israeli soldier. This is our land too, he said, and we need to learn to live together. I never forgot that brief conversation. It encapsulates the whole festering sore of the Middle East. On this day of all days then, there's a call not just to remembrance but to reconciliation. Blessed are the peacemakers. Peace in our hearts, peace in our homes. I love this story. Uh, sorry, it's a Spanish story actually, a story of Pedro. Pedro was a runaway. And the alienated father puts a, a notice, a, a news, an, an ad in the Spanish newspaper in Madrid. And it said this. Pedro, he said, I will be at the clock tower at six o'clock on Saturday evening. Please come home. When the father went down to the clock tower that night, he found hundreds of Pedros looking for their father. We need to find peace with others. Peace with God peace with others, and of course, peace with ourselves. The New Testament talks about this inner battle with ourselves, the selfish nature that can so easily poison and imprison, the battle within, the loss of self-worth, the feelings of guilt, failure and frustration, in extreme cases, self-loathing. Paul writes of that struggle and says, what a wretched person I am, who can rescue me? Thanks be to God, he says, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Somebody has said that peace on earth is an inside job. No wonder Jesus said, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. In a troubled and suffering world, what a message of hope and encouragement that is. I'd like to end with two stories, actually. This one is from 2005, the story of Ahmed. The Times carried this story on Remembrance Weekend 2005. In a land synonymous with violence and bloodshed, 
the fate of a 12-year-old Palestinian boy stands out as an extraordinary example of human compassion, surmounting the most ethnic of divides. Ahmed was shot dead by an Israeli soldier who mistook his toy gun for real. Less than a week later, his organs gave life to six Jews and Arabs after his parents gave them to Israeli hospitals. The headline in the Times read, A Victory Over Death and Hate. And etched on a million war memorials are the words from John 15, Greater love has no man than this, but a man lay down his life for his friends. In the centre of every Commonwealth War Cemetery, the memorial cross is called the cross of sacrifice. So I invite us this Remembrance Day to look back with gratitude, to look up with confidence, and to look forward with hope. Armistice Day in Manhattan in 1919, the first year of the armistice. Families in, in Manhattan were asked to put a star in the window if they'd lost a son in the Great War. If they'd done that in St. Albans, my family would have had two stars in the window. And they walked along, a little boy with his father walking along the street. What's that, Dad? And he said, that's because they gave a son. And as he went over the ridge of Manhattan, down looking west, on west side, looking across, the sun's going down. And there is Venus, the evening star. And he says, Daddy, did God give a son? May this Remembrance Sunday point us afresh to a cross of sacrifice. A living Saviour offers us freedom, forgiveness, redemption, and resurrection hope to a place where peace is made with a God, with others, and with ourselves. And hope for tomorrow can give strength for today. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, on this day of all days, where the past comes back, where a future of uncertainty beckons, may we know the presence of the Prince of Peace as our present hope in trouble, as our Saviour, as our friend, and as the giver of hope. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.